Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Today I'm joined by a great friend of mine, Mr. Mark Crichton, founder of All Your Idea. So welcome, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hello, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. Very oh, much no. forward to it. Absolute pleasure. Always a pleasure to have a chat. So uh, uh, before we get kicked off into all of the great stuff about what you do, who you help with All Your Idea, um, Tell us a bit about your background, you know, what got you to where you are today? Because I know it's been a, an interesting journey so far. Yeah, so, I mean, I spent 20 years working in the media and technology sector, um, which was a bit strange because I originally started out wanting to be a journalist, convinced myself through my teenage years that that's what I wanted to do. Went off and did work experiences at newspapers. And then actually, when I was at university with you, there you go, that's kind of immediately got people to understand where the friendship comes from. Yeah. Um, I started to do a lot more in teams around kind of societies and the college that we were both at. And yep. I realized that journalism was quite a lonely world and that actually didn't spend a lot of time working with other people. Hmm. And it really made me take stock of what was the environment I wanted to be in. And, you know, every day when I turned up for work, um, who did I want to be working alongside? So I took a like a, a complete diversion as I left university, decided journalism wasn't for me, but was really interested in media and went into kind of the media uh, advertising side of the industry uh, right. and initially worked for very small agencies. So sort of seven or eight people uh, going up to about 60 people. And I did that for 10 years. Uh, and then the second part went to the big corporates. So when I worked for people like WPP uh, and a big Japanese advertising a company called Dentsu, and that's where I kind of got my my first taste of leadership. So for about the the last sort of thirteen years, I've been doing leadership roles as kind of CEO of media agencies, uh, and then over the last four years, I've been CEO of an educational technology business. So again, all kind of tied together with this world of kind of media, uh, and I guess like a lot of industries, the way that technology has changed them. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing sort of since I left uni. Oh, fantastic. And that was, what, some 25 years ago, I think it might have been when we first met, mate. But, uh... Yeah, yeah. very strange when people say to you, what have you been doing? And then you realise it's over 20 years that you've, you've had your career, which means there's less to come, I guess. <laughs> gone, yeah, at least at least we're not going old and grey. That's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to delve into one of the two of those points a little bit more, what was it about media journalism that attracted you in the first place? You know, is there, is there any family background in that or is it something that just no, hit you? No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I guess that initially I was drawn to writing and that right. was kind of something that I loved. But I, the big part and the bit that's always been true is that I love change. Mm-hmm. And what I thought about kind of the, the newspaper industry when I went and did my work experience was just every day was completely different. Mm. There was always something new to think about, to talk about. Um, and I love that idea that every day was was going to have this kind of difference or new kind of input into it. Right. Um, and I've continued to love that. So the media industry has had lots of changes, continues to have lots of changes. Um, the vast majority of them driven by technology. Yep. Um, and that's kind of where I've spent quite a lot of my focus. 
Uh, I was very fortunate. I kind of came into working life right in the middle of the dot-com boom, where I'm going to be honest, not that many people knew about the internet and what it was. Hmm. Uh, in my first job, someone actually came over and asked whether or not I'd ever been on the internet. Right. And I was one of the few people in the office who had through through university. Wow. And I said, oh, we've got a client, and that client wants to do some advertising on the internet, but none of us have used the internet. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm willing to explore it a little bit. Hmm. And I worked with this client who was in the IT sector um, to identify what websites we could actually advertise on. Hmm. Uh, and for me, that was then a massive kind of pillar of my career for, hmm. for 20 years because I was then the internet specialist. I was right. the guy that, as that industry began to grow, I sort of grew with it. Right. Um, so kind of lots of periods of massive acceleration and probably getting opportunities in my career earlier than I would have done if I'd gone into television or newspapers or radio. Yeah. As I say, because I was a great lover of change and I was really curious about these new things that were happening, those opportunities sort of seemed to come along you know, quite readily. Um, and, and I guess I was really open to it. So a big part for me was really not turning anything down. If I could see there was something that was a new opening or kind of a new aspect of way te where technology was going, wanting to understand it, wanting to think how it was relevant to the business that I worked for and also for the, the clients I was working with. So right. that's kind of, you know, why I loved media and I've loved technology as well. And, and even now I'm someone who really loves embracing change and thinks that change is a very positive thing. Mm. Uh, and I know for a lot of people who are, are listening, probably that's their worst nightmare. You know, yeah. they don't want change in the organization they work in. It creates disruption. It's really difficult. They have to learn new things. Uh, but for me, it's kind of the thing that's always kept me motivated. Oh, awesome stuff. And uh, the other little note that I made for myself here is um, just because I know you know your background, I know that you hit on some C-suite roles and some C fairly senior roles at a pretty young age, didn't you? So how did you find yourself in those roles and how did you find that experience uh, being the uh, the youngster in the C-suite? Yeah, I mean, as I say, the, the big thing, big driver for it was technology. So I guess experience wasn't going to be counted against me. Right. It was actually what I was demonstrating on a day-to-day -day basis. So it was very different. And I don't think that's true in every industry that those opportunities come along sort of before you've kind of got the, the time uh, sort of you know delivered within a job and you've gone through the different levels. Yeah. How it came to me was was very much about initiative. Um, because there were lots of new things happening, I was someone always kind of putting my hand up and saying, oh, I'll have a look into that and figure that out. And I was always someone bringing new ideas forward. And um, my bosses at a, at a media agency called iLevel, which was a small independent agency, there's about 40 of us when I started. And they approached me uh, about new business ideas and i kind of wrote business plans for things like paid search so when google first arrived yeah. they asked me a question about whether or not advertising would ever fit on google and <laughs> i spent a bit of time investigating that wrote them a business plan and they bought into it straight away and gave me some people to kind of make that happen hmm. um and through sort of demonstrating that initiative um they came to me when i was 20 and said, would I like to be the managing director of the company? They were changing the nature of the company, moving some people into different parts of, of the venture. And rather than go outside and find a managing director, they felt someone who'd grown up in it would be a better choice, nice. um, which I was surprised by. Mm -hmm. Definitely wasn't something that I expected. But your question about kind of leading, it, I immediately realized that I didn't have kind of that time under my belt that I could kind of fall back on. Mm. And there were going to be lots of kind of new experiences that 
I hadn't had that I was going to have to either game really quickly or I was going to have to look for support really quickly. So um, the first thing I said when they made me a um, kind of MD was, um, can I have a coach? And they were a bit surprised. They'd never used coaches before, but I'd heard about business coaches. I'd heard about the role that they play. And what I explained to them was I felt they needed somebody who was independent of the business, who I could talk to about those situations and scenarios that I hadn't seen. Right. So that I had somewhere where I could kind of shape my idea, shape my thinking, so that when I took it back to them and the board, it was a bit more polished. Right. And I felt that, you know, even though they were great line managers, great mentors, that I needed that kind of space that was independent of the business, that mm. kind of was away from other people's biases, and that I could kind of formulate my own leadership style. And, and that that would be something that would be genuine, it would be authentic, it would be me. And also it'd be something that other people would believe in because obviously a lot of the people I work with were my peer group and all of a sudden I'd been raised in this MD job. And to all intents and purposes, I was leaving my mates. There were people that I'd been kind of working with for sort of four or five years and I knew them really well. Mm. And I knew therefore there'd need to be a distinction, a difference in the way that I led that was still me mm. and was still you know, the person that they knew, but equally so someone who had recognize there were going to be decisions they needed to make that would affect the future of the company, affect the future of the people that work for it, and therefore I needed to make sure I had the right support to do that. Right. Oh, what, what a learning experience. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I found the uh, the whole experience of learning to be a leader and learning to be a manager uh, a tricky enough one at a relatively uh, junior level, you know, never mind taking up those levels of responsibility early on is, uh, but it's what's in front of you, isn't it? And if you can deal yeah. with it and look for that support externally. So I think we're going to come back to that piece about coaching quite a lot later on, but um, interesting that you recognize that early on in your stage and talked about using it to address those biases and get out your authentic self as well. So um, some really interesting topics in their own right. So um, one other thing from your past that I just wanted to, uh, to, go into as well your time at Avado um and I know that was a, a, a an amazing setup and, a, and an establishment in itself in terms of what it was doing with them um, with education and young people and, and that, those areas but you um you were the CEO through uh the times of COVID as well weren't you so and you know big changes how was how did that impact you the organization your people um and what did you learn from that experience because it's been such a big thing yeah I mean it a massive learning experience but I think it even though it was a lot of learning it was kind of a reminder of some of the fundamentals of leading and, right. and actually got me really focused on the things that matter so I'd always had a, a challenge at Avado when I joined the company obviously I wasn't an educational specialist right. and um, we do our company monthly meetings and I would stand up and I'd be saying well here's the strategy Here's the clients that we've won this month. Here's how we're going to adapt kind of some of the things that we're doing. Here's some of the work that we're going to do in marketing. And then no one ever asked me a question. And I, I said, I can't, you know, got to the point of saying, look, you've got to challenge me back. Like, what is it that we could do differently? And even though we're having these physical meetings, nothing's coming back. And it was something I was, I was concerned about. And I would mm -hmm. go around and check in with the teams individually and usually get more feedback. So it wasn't that I wasn't getting feedback, but in these all kind of company forums, just didn't seem to be getting as much as I wanted. When COVID hit, we decided that we needed to increase our communication. That one of the things that would support people most was if we were talking more frequently, we were updating them kind of in an uncertain period. Yeah. Uh, and what that was, was every Wednesday morning, I would do an all company kind of video call, pretty much talking down the camera like I am to you, um, and, and talking about what was going on. 
And what came out of that for me was um, almost by not facing me, not necessarily having their camera turned on, I started to get all these questions about what the business was doing, why we were making the decisions we were making, um, disagreement with the decisions we were making and challenge. Mm. And I remember after the first session when I kind of asked for questions and they all flooded in on the chat um, and I was going to answer all of them. I kind mm. of, whatever they were, I was going to answer all of them. Two things really stood out. The first one was I was able for the first time to say, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Right. You know, it's a really uncertain period, just like everybody else that you're hearing on television, politicians, uh, news broadcasters, um, commentators, I don't know what happens next. So I don't know whether where that goes. All I can work with is what we have in front of us to make the best decisions from that. And then the second thing was um, to not see people's questions as being kind of a, a personal kind of slight on me, but right. expressions of frustration, expressions of confusion, um, expressions of being upset at what was going on for them as people were, were perfectly legitimate. Mm. And that I should be ready for that challenge. And as a leader, part of my job was to offer support, uh, was to be more empathetic, was to, to be there just to support people and to acknowledge that, yeah, that's a really hard decision that we've had to make. Mm. And throughout COVID, you know, there were hard decisions in, in terms of we had redundancy processes that we had to undertake because the business couldn't support the people that were in it. Yep. Um, we had to go out and gain new financing. Uh, we had to adapt all of our working practices. We had to change our program. So, there were constantly difficult things for people to hear that you know were negative on top of everything that was happening in their lives that were negative as well. Right. But I realized that as a leader, being clear in your communication, being authentic, being genuine, uh, but also being honest, probably gains you the most respect, but also it gained kind of the most commitment. So right. what I saw around the business were people recognizing the challenge and almost like double down, okay? If this is what you need from us, we're going to work to do that. Mm. Um, yes, it's going to be different because we're all working remotely, but you know, for the business to survive and progress, this is kind of the, the change that we need to make. Mm. And I was blown away by how people responded to kind of what we were saying and you know, committed themselves first and foremost to their colleagues to be supportive of one another, yeah. but also then to support the business and to say, okay, well, we want to come out the other side of this. Um, so for me, it was it was a really stressful period and mm. one that I think mentally took a lot out and emotionally took a lot out. But then I kind of reflect on those things that we did and the way that people responded to what all the effort we were putting in. And I'm just kind of blown away by the way that human beings respond to difficult situations like that because yeah. it's just, it's a unique situation where everyone would be well within their rights to sort of down tools and say, it's just too much. I just yeah. can't do it. But actually, what I saw in people was kind of this greater willing to commit, um, which I thought was very special. Hmm. No, that's amazing, isn't it? And I think there's a, there's a huge amount to be said for one of the, you know, a lot of the points you said there, but one that I'd pick up on is that authenticity piece as well, you know, and honesty of just being able to say, look, I don't know the answer. And I've, you know, this is a tough time. Nobody has the answer in, in front of them. I'm, and I know from previous conversations with you, you talked about just being open about, look, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to be working on it and I'm going to be working with my team. But, but if you've got any ideas, bring them to me because I need all the help I can get. And I think that vulnerability as a leader can be a difficult thing to do. 
Um, but I mean, I'll, I'll throw it back at you. Was that vulnerability, giving that vulnerability out there? Firstly, was it difficult to do, and secondly, did it pay off? Yeah, I, mean, I, I have a, an interesting thing with vulnerability. I, I think certainly in the last, in the first ten years of my career, I thought you weren't allowed to be vulnerable. Right. You know, I definitely put on what I describe as a professional veneer. So I kind of, you know, put my clothes on in the morning, and I'd be Mark going to work. Right. And I made a really, and it was quite conscious, a real clear separation between the Mark that went to work and the Mark was, that was at home. Right. And I. I some of that was because I wanted a space that I could come back into selfishly where I could kind of leave all those other things outside the door and, you know, retrench really and mm. recharge and re-energize to kind of do it all again. Yeah. Because I found certainly leading at the start just unrelenting, you know, right. tiring and exhausting. I was giving everything I could to it and therefore I felt like I needed to balance it out somehow. And I think it's only through experiencing it that you realize that your vulnerability is one of your most kind of powerful assets. Like who you are as a leader is so important to the people that work with you. And what I began to notice was when I showed some of that, when I gave some of myself, when I was vulnerable, everyone seemed to lean forward more. Right. As if, not, not as I probably misread, to take advantage of me or to criticize me or that vulnerability was seen as weakness but as well that's him like we're meeting the person that's leading right. us like he's not sort of bulletproof he's not you know this person that doesn't have doubts or concerns or worries he does mm. and i think i had to kind of train myself that okay from showing a little bit of myself show a bit more right. and actually to start off with it was really hard work mm. i had to almost retrain myself to go okay be open about that like allow that to be yourself and it took a long time it wasn't something where i went from okay the, the the professional veneer to this is me and i feel like i'm being myself more every single day it was real practice you know i i would if i was communicating i'd, I'd write scripts for the things i was going to say to the company i'd look at them and say okay what have you said about yourself how do you feel about this like what is the thing that says to people that you care and you feel the value that they're creating are these words really enough and would change things and try and be a bit more spontaneous and try and you know allow myself to think about ways that i could open up and it sounds really daft so during covid i would talk about things that were going on at home i would talk about the box sets we were watching i would talk about the fact that we got a puppy i would talk about what the boys were doing with the homeschooling and for me that was about sort of Yes, letting people in because mm. I knew that they were experiencing things in their own home that, that were challenges. But also I found it was a way for me to be really connected to who I was so that they would see me. Right. But sometimes those words really weren't about the message I was giving. It was me simply saying, it's Mark talking to you. It's not the CEO of this company. Mm. Um, so it's, I think, you know, I observe it a lot in business today that people sort of put the shell on. And the first thing is I have a huge amount of understanding for why they put that shell on, because when you're in these jobs, they're, they're tough on you yeah. um, emotionally and energy wise. But I also know that when you kind of allow that guard to drop, you one, enjoy it more. And two, the people around you really respond in a very positive way to it. Yeah. And they don't take advantage of you and they, they don't look to kind of get one over on you. Actually, they just want to see more of it. 
Yeah, and uh, I was just listening to uh, a podcast from uh, another one of our mutual friends, Mr. Faris Aranki, uh, friend of the show, and um, he was talking on another podcast about um, if you're delivering news, talking about he's big into strategy development and supports people in that space, and saying as a, a leader, if you're not demonstrating some sort of passion when you're talking about the strategy, then why would you think your people would be in any way connected? Um, and that that passion can be anything from you know the professional side of it through to the personal. But this is really going to affect me. It's going to help me and my family to do this, or it's going to have this impact on my my day to day life. You know, it's a it's that personal connection that really binds everything together, isn't it? And you know, as Faris talks about in terms of strategy, it's the energy as well. So you know, if you're going to go and communicate things, how much energy have you got in the tank for that? You know, how are you getting yourself ready so that when you give that kind of massive piece of information to a company, and particularly when, when you're in a period of change, how is that going to be really positive? You know, what is your body going to be doing as much as what's coming out of your mouth? How are you going to do it? Have you thought about that enough so it has the most positive and kind of potent impact? Mm. But all of those things require you as a leader to have enough energy yourself to then give that back to other people. And mm. I think you know, we, we live in a business culture at the moment that often talks about leaders almost like running themselves into the ground yeah. and celebrating this idea of working 80, 90 hour weeks. I think we hear a lot less about what about the quality of what you're doing, what about the quality of the decision making, what about the energy and the way that you communicate? Um, because actually, as a leader, that's what you do. You are leading other people to an outcome mm. rather than you are delivering the outcome. Yeah. And for them to respond to you and for them to kind of then commit to whatever it is you're asking them to do, they've got to see that energy coming from you. Um, and you can't do that if you're constantly on the edge of burnout, constantly kind of either burning a candle at both ends in the in sense of trying to, you know, trying to deliver your best, you know, throughout the day. So, um, yeah, it's I think that's kind of a, an important thought for leaders at the moment and probably the, the transition that I hope to see kind of in the, in the next 20 years of my career is kind of not celebrating leaders for the number of hours they put in, but really celebrating the quality of what they do mm. and the energy that they bring to it. Yeah. Well, I hope that takes us a beautiful segue into the, the next part of this, uh, this show, which is about what you do now. So who do you help and how do you help them? Um, so let's delve a little bit into um, all your idea and what you're doing there and, uh, and what that's all about. Yeah, so you, you touched on it earlier on. Um, I've been very fortunate to kind of have um, kind of coaching and mentoring and therapy input throughout the kind of last sort of 15, 16 years. And what I noticed when I was doing leadership jobs were these were these amazing kind of spaces of time where I really got to think about the most important things that were going on in my business, um, the way that I was approaching them. Um, but also, in some instances, the way that I was leading my team, and I mean in this instance, my leadership team, to deliver on kind of the main priorities for our business well. And, and coaching really got me into this very kind of powerful reflection. So All Your Idea um, is a coaching and collaborative consultancy business. And my goal is very much to help leaders with kind of finding the space and time and energy to really focus on things like um, their strategy, their priorities, um, the innovation that's going to drive their business, but also how they engage with the people around them as well mm -hmm. to make sure that they are delivering the very best of themselves in everything that they do with the communities that they lead. Right. 
Um, and that's come from a very personal experience around kind of the value of having independent coaches and, and independent <coughs> uh, individuals who've come in and supported me at different stages of leading. And I've constantly been blown away by the difference that they're making to my thinking. Not that it's not my thinking, but they're creating these very kind of powerful spaces, structures, environments, mm. frameworks that have allowed me to kind of deliver my strengths as a leader. Right. Oh, fantastic. And, and so who is it you uh, would typically work with in that space? So it will definitely be CEOs and kind of board level executives, but also with their teams as well. So, so one of the things I want to encourage is that rather than kind of just look at um, a lot of these business challenges and individuals is, well, how are you looking at it as a leadership team? Right. How are you formulating a team based on kind of the collective strengths of those individuals? And how are you setting out kind of the, the objectives for your short and long-term future and staying really focused on those? Hmm. And I think what I noticed as a leader is that um, being focused on the priorities is probably the most difficult thing right. um, because the constant change in both the internal environment in your business and the external environment, whether that's your competition, the market, mm. your customers, means that every single day you can be thrown another 20 things that everyone thinks you should prioritize. Yeah. How you stay focused on the, the three or four things that actually could make the biggest difference is really hard. Right. So unless you've got structure around that, unless you're very deliberate around that, unless as a leadership team you're supporting one another to do that, um, it's really hard to achieve. And mm. it's the reason I think that a lot of businesses uh, and leadership teams don't fulfill their potential because they lose that focus. They get distracted by all these other things that are kind of constantly being put on the table in front of them and they're kind of being asked to sort of disseminate and determine whether or not they now should be the thing that they focus on. Mm. So, you know, for me, those people kind of need um, the ability to go outside, I guess, of kind of all of those those challenges and talk to individuals that can help them to kind of go, well, how do we stay focused? How do we know that we're making progress? Yeah. Are we making sure we're getting the outcomes to the benefit of our people, what we want to achieve commercially, but also what we want to achieve with our with our customers? Yeah. And I think you, you hit on a, a real point there of the, the time and space just giving people that time and space to step back um, and the value of external coaching and, and support in that space. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lot of value to have with internal mentorships and internal um, coaching systems. I've seen them work to a degree within a lot of the organisations that I've worked with, but um, to truly have time to reflect and to truly have time to focus on the things that are important, then being able to step back from all of that and, and be challenged by someone with no agenda, you know, yeah. nothing in the, in the table. So it, it, um, I think that's a, a really valuable thing to be offering to people and to, uh, to to support, along with the experience you bring in, obviously you've got that uh, sort of gap between, and, and do you have an intention from the coaching stroke mentor space? Do you, do you take a deliberate um, line in the sand on the, I will only ever be a coach or, only ever, or only ever be a mentor or is it? I think the key thing is just to, to be transparent about what you think the job in hand is. Right. You know, I, I think, you know, having done my professional coaching qualification, coaching is very different. It's a, it's really about enabling somebody in their thinking. Yeah. Um, and it's about, you know, one, creating a, a container, a space in which they can think and then asking them questions that allows them to explore their own thinking. 
I think mentoring has more aspect of bringing that experience mm. and, and sort of this is what I experienced and here's how it might help you. Um, and I think there's room for both. And yeah. I, just to something you previously said, you know, I've, I've realized as a leader, it's quite helpful to think about having your own little sort of backroom staff, your own little team. So you can have a business coach, you can have a mentor, you can have a therapist if you want to, you can have uh, a PT, personal trainer. Yeah. And if you think about how am I going to use those people to get me to be the best of myself, to kind of deliver the strengths that I want to deliver, mm. they will all bring some value and it will be different. Yeah. And then there'll be other times where you very clearly go, I just need a mentor right now. I need right. somebody who can give me experience of this situation and give me a sense of what it is to be in it because I've not been in it myself. Mm. So, I, you know, I really... It, the analogy that comes up is like I, I look at tennis players and, you know, some people describe them as an entourage, but I kind of look at it and go, well, it's just a really smart team because each of those people has a very clear role in helping that tennis player to be the most successful they can be. Yeah. And I think leaders need to think the same way. Mm. And I think what we'll see over the next sort of 10 to 15 years is that people will realize this important connection as they already are between kind of are you physically well as well as kind of mentally and emotionally well. Yeah. Um, on top of kind of that sense of we're all continually learning, but what is it to learn as a leader? Right. And not all of that is just on the job. It is your ability to tap into expert resource and say, okay, I want to get better at what I'm doing. Um, how can I go through kind of a deliberate piece of development that's going to enable me to do that? Right. And I think the, the kind of leaders that will excel are the ones that are smart enough to say, am I creating enough time for my development? in a very kind of deliberate way, not the sort of, yes, I'm, you know, I'm reading about what's going on, I'm doing my desktop research, not that bit, but actually say, I can see that I need to improve in this area, hmm. who within kind of my group of experts that I work with independently, do I tap into to help me to develop in this way? Um, and I think that's kind of the sort of leadership development that, that will garner the best results of then going forward. Nice, love it. Brilliant stuff. Um, and then you've mentioned this uh, a little bit yourself, and there's a little bit of a segue here in terms of how do you perform? You know, who do you go to to up your own game to make sure that you're performing at your best? Yeah, I've kind of just sort of given you a sense of it there, really. Mm. So I've been really fortunate to pick up some amazing mentors throughout my career. So board level directors I've worked with, chairs that I've worked with. And they've been very kind in giving me time after I've left their companies right. and, and being there for me, you know, that kind of once or twice a year just to catch up and give their perspective. So I think, you know, that, that, that aspect, as I say, business coaches, um, I, I've had several different business coaches. And what I love about those people is when they feel they've taken me as far as they can, they've always acknowledged it and said, right, right I think we need to find you a coach that can kind of take you the next journey because that's a specialism I don't have, or you're in a different stage of your development, which I think is kind of, you know, that that's the most selfless thing that any person who's sort of self-employed can do. Yeah. So um, I've always had great respect for them. Um, and then more recently, actually, I've started to kind of explore therapy. Right. And, and therapy very much in the sense of understanding myself better mm. and thinking that by understanding myself better, that would make me a better leader. Um, and I've approached, interestingly, gone to therapy because um, I wanted to find out how I could be a better version of myself rather than because I felt like I was dealing with a particular problem. Mm. Um, and I think that, again, is 
has probably come to me very late in this kind of sort of stage of my career, but has been really powerful because to your points about authenticity and how you bring yourself to work, well, unless you've got a pretty good understanding of yourself, that's a very hard thing to do. And you have to explore that subject if you're then going to figure out ways that you can kind of begin to communicate it to other people. So, um, yeah, I, I try to be open-minded about all of those inputs. And as a consequence, every time that I feel that I'm plateauing, certainly in my development, I just check in to see whether or not there's something else I need to explore. And, and they have all kind of had very different but very powerful inputs. And you, you hit on a point there that I know has been raised by no, a number of people in uh, previous episodes is that um, it's amazing how much people will give in terms of their time and their input and their efforts. Um, if, one, if you ask them, uh, but two, even if you're not necessarily asking, but you are open to it and sort of put yourself out there for it as well. But uh, um, I've never been more overwhelmed than when you just say, I, I need a bit of help. Has anybody got some time? Do you have half an hour? Very few people are, uh, would say no in those circumstances, and I think that yeah. uh, there's a lot, of, lot to be said about reaching out and asking for help and, and the, the benefits. I mean, if, of... if, if you're sitting there today and you admire a colleague or you admire someone working at another company, I think if you send them an email and say, "I would really value and respect, you know, having some time with you because I have this admiration for the way that you work," they're going to give you time. Right. Now, what I would say is. If they do give you that time, it's really respectful to then use that time well, to be yeah. prepared for when you meet them, to have some questions for them, to have some things that you're struggling with that you're willing to kind of put on the table to discuss. But that's that's the only thing I always think about mentoring, which is some people like the idea of having a mentor so they can say X is my mentor. And right. they see it very much as a sort of on the career ladder. Right. I would say that's the worst thing to think about it. The way to think about it is how you know, that person's giving me their precious time how am I going to use that time really effectively? What are the things I could really get from the half an hour that they can give me? Hmm. And I think the consequence of that is that you'll have long-term relationships with those people rather than maybe you see them a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and I've really valued having that kind of continuity of mentors because when I make mistakes or I've maybe not done things as well, we have the honest conversation about where that's come from. Hmm. Is that the first time that's happened? Is there patterns that we've seen in kind of my different jobs that might indicate, oh, well, hang on a second, that's one to really look at because it's happened a few times. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's invaluable, but but that comes from that mutual respect. Yeah, yeah, and I think if from the the mentor's perspective as well, seeing that your mentee is listening and taking on board and trying new things and succeeding that's that that's always been the rewarding element of mentorship for me. You know, is have a, a great mentoring conversation and nothing happens of it. It's it's like what, you know, where's the energy in that? So, awesome. Um, okay, so just wrapping things up a little bit with a couple of slightly quick-fire questions, uh, a little off the cuff. One is, um, if you were able to sit down with any individual team organisation and support them with the work that you do, who would you want that to be and why? All right, so this is, this is coming from my, my politics degree at university. So I, I do want to sit down with the Prime Minister and I kind of wondered if this was Rishi Sunak, probably is right now. But I, I think I've observed now over kind of a number of years how prime ministers lose connection with kind of the people that we, we vote for them, the, the people around them, or you know, people beyond kind of their inner circle. And I do think there's an interesting kind of coaching dynamic to that. Right. 
right. about how they're formulating thinking, how they're connecting with their audience, with their constituent, I guess. Mm. Because it does feel like one of those leadership jobs where the insight and the input sort of narrows over time. Right. And, and actually you get less and less input and insight from the breadth of what's going on in the world and probably less and less space to think. So less time to process the information that you have to make good decisions. Yeah. But I, I do think, and I'm, you know, when I look at kind of, and this is in, in Britain specifically, I do look at British prime ministers and think all of those kind of very conservative with a small C leadership traits about kind of looking like you have no weakness, not expressing vulnerability, the ability to work with less than four hours sleep, the ability to work seven days a week and never give yourself a break. We sort of applaud it and cheer it without actually thinking, well, what's the consequence of that? Yeah. The consequence of that is that they're probably making really bad decisions at times. They're not making decisions with lots of information and they're not giving them time to consider the implications of what they're doing in a way that would enable them to make better mm. or more holistic kind of decisions. So. I'd love the opportunity to sit with kind of someone like the current prime minister, almost to say, well, are you getting the space that you need to make the very complex decisions that you need to? Because you more than anybody need kind of the, the coaching, the therapy, the mentoring, but it's difficult from the outside to see whether or not that's something that you get access to. Yeah. Oh, interesting one. No small challenge for you there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go right at the top straight away. Yeah, why not? Um, and flipping that on its head a little bit, if you could sit down, have a coffee, have a beer, a glass of wine, and sit down with somebody in order to learn from them and up your own performance, who would you want that to be? Okay, well, keeping the same theme here, but uh, one close to your heart here, Paul. So uh, Jacinda Ardern, the yeah. uh, New Zealand Prime Minister, yeah. I think is, is as a role model, and I look around the world looking for role models for leadership, and she's one of the ones that really stands out to me. I think she is the the authentic person. I think she demonstrates the vulnerability that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, she shows compassion, um, but also she shows compassion not only for the country that she lives in, but she also has a great expression on kind of the world stage mm. of what it is to be a leader and kind of what the expectation of, of you is in lots of different forms, whether it's the economy, whether it's defence, whether it's the environment. So I'd be really interested to spend some time with her and just understand where that kind of clarity's come from. Right. Um, because it does feel when you watch her, when you hear her, when you kind of just see her, her body language, mm. it's extremely clear what she's about. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, as a communicator, I don't think I've seen many better communicators uh, in the world, even when they're talking about really difficult subjects, even when she's apologising for things I'm not sure she needs to apologise for. There's just a, a quality to the way that she does that, that I think, you know, business leaders, as much as kind of political leaders, can really learn from. Yeah, yeah, and in, very interesting one, and, uh, and someone who's handled a lot of, you say, some high-pressure situations and uh, and highly controversial situations. And, and I also, because for those who, of you who don't know who are listening, I, I lived for five years in New Zealand. I've still got family who live over there. Um, and what I hear occasionally is the interesting element of um, the perception of uh, Jacinda Ardern outside of New Zealand compared to internally within New Zealand can be two very, uh, very different things as well. But um, I don't think there's any arguing uh, with the points that you've made there around her style of communication, her clarity and, and how she goes about her business. And I think that's a, a, that'll be a, a fantastic one to learn from. 
Awesome stuff. Well, um, final sort of couple of questions for me then. Um, how do people find out more? How do people get in touch with you and with all your idea? Yeah, so uh, they can contact me on email, which is uh, mark at allyouridea.com and also uh, Mark Crichton uh, on LinkedIn as well uh, for the time being. Yeah. Uh, but in the new year, there'll be a website as well, which will be allyouridea.com. Right. Fantastic. And we'll make sure all those links are shared in the show notes. Uh, go out and reach out to Mark, check out all your idea, get yourself a, a coach and a mentor. If this has inspired you in any way, then then hopefully that will um, uh, point you in the direction of upping your own game, helping your own performance. Um, and there's a number of experts and people who are willing to give their time and effort to help people to perform is what this whole show is all about and what's inspired me in my career um, and I applaud you for not only the the amazing work you've done in the past Mark but for the great work that I know you're going to be doing going forward best of luck with it and uh, thank you so much for being on today's show Mark Crichton oh, it's been a pleasure great to see you Paul see you again soon mate thanks for listening to today's episode if you liked what you heard then please give the podcast a rate review and share I'm Paul Teasdale and from sausage making to banking oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.